Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome into another edition of the Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, Maddie Lee joins us. You might remember Maddie from her uh, pretty short stint as the Ole Miss beat writer for the Clarion Ledger. She left the Clarion Ledger to head to Oklahoma City to cover the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Daily Oklahoman there in OKC, and uh, just recently made the jump from the NBA to Major League Baseball, made the jump from Oklahoma City to Chicago. She now covers the Chicago Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago. So we talked to Maddie about her career, about uh, life on the Thunderbeat, the NBA uh, works, the NBA stoppage because of the coronavirus, and uh, talked to her about the labor negotiations in Major League Baseball, what she's hearing in that regard, uh, and then what might happen as it pertains uh, to the Cubs and to Major League Baseball as that gets started. So it's kind of a fun conversation with her. If you like journalism talk, you'll like it. If you're interested in uh, covering the NBA, what that's like. If you're interested in what the Thunder was like before Russell Westbrook, with Russell Westbrook, and then after Russell Westbrook, it's pretty interesting there too. And then her uh, her thoughts about her experience, I should say, with uh, kind of living with coronavirus in two really different places, Oklahoma and uh, Illinois. So we'll get to all of that in a minute. I think you'll really enjoy it when we uh, talk to Maddie. First, let me tell you about the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. Drive-thru is open. Delivery options available as well. Uber Eats, Grubhub, Waiter, DoorDash. You can get the new Hangover Crystal all day. $169 all day. Bacon, egg, and cheese crystal with fresh cracked eggs. They got the uh, new peach slushy as well. The new banana pudding shake. They've got fresh cracked egg biscuits, bacon, egg, and cheese, sausage, egg, and cheese, and uh, scrambler breakfast bowls. And don't forget the pick five for five fifty-five at Oxford Crystal, and that includes the new Nashville hot chick, one hundred percent all white meat chicken breast, on the Nashville hot chick as part of the pick five for five fifty-five at the Oxford Crystal, Highway Six West. In Oxford, I'm t- coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in L. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. Six six two two five seven nineteen hundred. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within fifteen minutes and business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle. No haggle. You get your quote. The rest is up to you. You can shop it around. Or you can do what I recommend that you do, and that is hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service. You'll love the product. Uh, Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call, 662-257-1900. We're also brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the freshest cuts in all of Oxford. If you're coming into Oxford, you need to make it a part of your stop. If you live around here, it needs to be a part of your daily life. Right across from Kroger, they've uh, it's 2008 University Avenue. Uh, like I said, right across from Kroger, you go in. You uh, t- 
tell Greg what you're looking for. He'll have it all ready for you. If you want to call ahead, you can do that, 662-259-2999. Or you can do what I recommend that you do, and that's go in and see what he recommends. They have the freshest cuts, whether it is bone-in ribeyes, whether it's his uh, special fillets, uh, pork chops, uh, sausage, chicken, fish from the Gulf, everything you could want. The meatloaf is incredible. The uh, hash brown casserole, stuffed jalapenos, stuffed mushrooms, plate lunches. It's all there at LB's. Absolutely fantastic. You will absolutely love it if you'll give it a shot. 662-259-2999. We are also brought to you by Community Mortgage. Community Mortgage is uh, one of the oldest mortgage companies in the southeast, more than 30 years old. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about community mortgages float down option that allows you to look lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. J-Lo, J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Maddie Lee and all other guests join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters on the Water is open. It's located at the Sardis Marina. So come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers, Louisiana-style po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. Open Wednesdays and Thursdays, 3.30 to 10, Friday through Sunday, 11 to 10. Newly expanded picnic-style dining area. Signature appetizers including Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls, live music, fun cocktails including their famous house frozen margarita. All of that there at Rafters on the Water. If you're not quite comfortable yet with that, that's okay. To-go is available. Curbside pickup is available. 662-712-6162. Speaking of Rafters on the Water, let's go now to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline and Maddie Lee of NBC Sports Chicago. Maddie Lee joins us on the podcast. It's been a long time since I've seen you, a long time since I've uh, talked to you with voice. We've t- uh, DM'd and stuff back and forth. Congratulations on on your new gig. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for having me on, too. It's good to hear your voice again. It has been a while. Yeah, it's been a good while. So you, you, left, you left here and you went to Oklahoma City to cover the Thunder, which I was pretty jealous of, uh, although I'm, I'm enough of a Thunder fan that I would have had to I would have had to figure out a way to put fandom aside. I know you weren't a fan necessarily at all. You went and covered them. What was what was covering uh, what was covering the NBA like, and what was covering the Thunder like? Yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. Um, for me, it's it's a weird full circle thing too because I grew up in Seattle, so it was the team that I you know went to games. I forgot about that. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 And then obviously then they left and Seattle, you know, cried for weeks and years. (laughs) And then uh, once I went to go cover them, all my friends and family sent me so much. Every single encouraging text or message was just like, hey, so proud of you. Also, the Thunder suck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, (laughs) like I'm not working for the team. I'm an objective journalist. But it was so much fun. Um, A fascinating two years to be on the beat too because I got the end of the Russell Westbrook era which obviously is 
an amazing thing to witness. I was there for the 2020 game. Uh, and he's just, a, there's no other player like him. And then got to cover the whole beginning of this rebuild, which is fascinating. And there's so many exciting young pieces in that franchise now. And then, of course, I was there for the night that all sports began to shut down. So absolutely fascinating two years. And, uh, you know, I'm sad that I didn't get to cover Ole Miss for longer than two sips of coffee, not even a cup of coffee. But (laughs) (laughs) um, but. It was also a fantastic experience. Well, I knew when you started on the old Miss Beat, I was like, I read some of your work and had you on the podcast and listened to you some. I'm like, she's not going to be here long. Uh, that's that's she's gone. You, you you made it out faster than I thought you would, but I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't surprised that that you were out pretty quick. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so let's. T- I want to touch on some of the things you just touched on because they're interesting to me, and I think to probably a lot of the people that are listening to this. Everybody sees Russell Westbrook, the player on the court. This this uh, angry ball of fire kind of guy. Um, he's a pretty enigmatic guy off the floor as well from talking to people yeah. who know him. I know that as a media person, you don't quote get to know him because he doesn't let, he doesn't let media in like that, but you, right. I'm sure you had some interaction with him. You had a chance to observe him when he wasn't, you know, turned on, if you will. What's he like? Yeah. I mean, Granted, I only covered him for a year, so we didn't have enough time to really rub each other the wrong way. But he he gets a, a rap for being very um, fiery towards the media, and that's true. And there are definitely nights where you go in to interview him and you're like, this is not going to go well. But, I mean, he's also, he has these moments where, like, when he was injured at the beginning of the season, my first road game, he took time to welcome me onto the beat. And, you know, when we went this past season, when we went to Houston for that first game between the two teams, he gave me a hug and we chatted about how his family was settling in and everything. And I think he's a a fiercely loyal person to the people who are close to him. And then, you know, like a lot of fantastic pro athletes has been able to play with a chip on his shoulder for his career. And so, you know, the media is part of that chip. And so that's how he goes out and plays. And granted, the media has also, you know, really torched him sometimes for a lack of consistency down the stretch because he plays it in such extremes. And that's what makes him great, but also what makes him frustrating, I'm sure you as a Thunder fan know uh, at times. I've always thought, and it was long before you were on that beat, uh, it was years and years ago, I always thought they, the flaw with that franchise may have been that they got too good too fast. Mm-hmm. They, they went from, I guess in 2010, they were this kind of underdog team against Kobe and Pau Gasol and those guys, and they – and and they played them so hard, and they took them to six games, and the Lakers needed, a, uh, I think, a Gasol little putback at the buzzer at the end of game six to prevent a game seven. It was that kind of a deal, and the fans stayed and cheered, and they were these lovable young kids. And then the next year, they make the Western Conference Finals, and they lose to Dirk and, and, and those guys, and yet that was a big accomplishment. And then, boom, in 2012, yep. <laughs> probably a year, two years ahead of schedule, they're in the NBA Finals. 
and they're playing against LeBron and D Wade and, and Chris Bosh, and all of a sudden, every they're the only show in town, and every talking head out there filling up these hours and hours and hours of ESPN and Fox FS1 and all that stuff, filling up these talking head shows, and Russell Westbrook took beatings because yeah. no one understood why are you not just giving the ball to Durant? Why are you not giving the ball to, to, to Harden? Why are you why are you the one taking these shots? And he's this guy that because you have to, like you said, you have to know his story to sort of understand the way he is the way he is. And instead of him just deflecting that, he just added it to his fuel and the chip on his shoulder got bigger and bigger and bigger and it became this monster, I think. And and it was all sort of if if they don't let's let's say in twenty twelve they don't finish the Spurs and they go, you know, it takes them till 2013 to make the finals. Maybe Harden stays sure. another year. They make the finals. They win the finals in 2013. The storyline is so completely different in the way that that so many in the media and you know how this works because if if the media have we have a lot of flaws, but if if we have <laughs> one biggest flaw, it's once we set a narrative. By God, we're not changing it. Yeah. Yeah, and it becomes an echo chamber. I I think that's absolutely right. And it's fascinating to look back at those years because, um, yeah, I mean, they were really punching above their weight. And when you look at net rating, they had better teams after that if you're just measuring by net rating. But yeah. they didn't get nearly as far. And so, Well, Westbrook got hurt in 2013 on a year they probably yep. were going to go to the finals. Um. In 20, yeah, that's another big what if. What yeah, if yeah. Brought his knee. Ibaka hurts his uh, hurts his hamstring at the end of the 2014 semifinals against the uh, the Clippers, or else they probably beat the Spurs in 2014 and maybe go back to the finals again. I mean, they always had these, and then and then the KD foot stuff started happening, and mm-hmm. then the 2016 series, you know, that Clay Thompson game was was one. <laughs> you know, it just it rewrote NBA history. In, in a lot of ways. And, and they're just kind of at the epicenter of a lot of that. Some of it was their fault. Some of it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, yeah, Pressy told a story about, I believe it was right after 2016, where he said that Woj, he was on Woj's podcast when they did that live thing. <laughs> Remember when we used to see people live, like in person? Crazy. <laughs> no, that, did, that, uh, that never happened. That was on a, that was, that was on a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but they, they did that, that live podcast um, and back at Presty's alma mater and, and Presty told a story about how Woj walked in after, after that 2016 series and was like, there were two champions this year and you guys were one of them. You just didn't win the title. Yeah. They were so good. I mean, I, I think people forget who was it? Andre Iguodala, I think, did a radio interview after that season, and and you know they asked him about who was the best team you guys played. And he said, "Well, the Thunder were the best team. Hmm. Not that we played; they were the best team." That after Game Four of that series against Golden State, Iguodala said he thought to himself, "We can't beat these guys." Well, you know, it's fascinating. I mean, just it, it, sports are always that what if. I mean, I guess life's a bunch of what ifs as well. But so you were talking about the the rebuild. I was curious. Did you get a sense at the end of the – I lose track of years now since 2020 has happened. 2020 has been going on for 10 years. <laughs> oh, for uh, sure. March was like three years in it. Yeah. Itself. The, the, the season where Westbrook and, and I guess probably your 
the end of your first year on the beat, Westbrook and George, and those guys lost to yeah. Dame Lillard and the Blazers. Did you get a sense at the end of that year that the Billy Donovan, Russell Westbrook relationship, that while I think they respected one another as men, did, did you get the impression that their professional relationship had run its course? Honestly, no. Um, and I think there's been a lot said over the years about Billy Donovan and his ability to coach Westbrook and honestly Durant too. And I think, you know, another media narrative that popped up was everyone was reading those guys' body language language around Donovan in those early years and immediately popped up the narrative that, oh, he can't coach these guys. They don't respect these guys. Uh, Russell Westbrook was very consistent saying, throughout his career like that he you know that the, it's a it's a good partnership that they're in a good place and I I don't think you know Russ wouldn't have left if it weren't for Paul George um but you know there were all these reports about them talking beforehand and so maybe it was inevitable that Paul was gonna start that you know domino cascade but I think it was less about Billy Donovan specifically and more just kind of a disappointment over the way that the last couple seasons had gone because the hopes were so high and honestly they were on such a good tear up until you know the the stretch run there and then at that point they just I don't know if they were tied obviously Paul George's uh, injuries came into play then, and the whole team kind of seemed to to be a little tired overall, and they just couldn't muster up the the last bit of effort to make it past the first round. So they made all those deals uh, for Paul George, for, for Russell Westbrook, lots of picks assembled. They got Shea Gilligas Alexander, Chris Paul. I think most people on the outside thought this was going to be a rebuild season for the Thunder, and it was really anything but that. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I guess Royce Young was on it, and uh, he, he was talking about how since Thanksgiving, the Thunder had the second or the third best record in the NBA. That is that is not the statistic of a rebuilding team. No. Um, I, I think even those of us who were covering the team absolutely did not expect anything like this, and I think what it really came down to was all of us, both in Oklahoma City and nationwide, underestimated Chris Paul. Because, you know, he's coming from a team that was supposed to go deep into the playoffs. Like, you you expect him, we all expected him to kind of come in and not really have that fire behind him. And I don't know why, <laughs> you know, like, looking back, like, that's not at all what his tra- track record has been. Like, even though he had the label placed on him of being kind of a locker room cancer, like... He's a guy who comes in and wants to win everything that he does. And he he did that when he came to Oklahoma City and, you know, really galvanized a young core around him too. Yeah, and I thought it was one of – I thought Donovan was in the midst of one of his best coaching jobs. They Absolutely. Had, that before the pandemic hit, and we're about to get to that, before the pandemic hit, they had gone – if I remember correctly, again, man, I mean, all jokes aside, it is hard to remember stuff pre – middle of March for me. I, yeah. I don't know about you. I mean, you're younger and your mind's probably sharper than mine, but I can't, I, I can remember that. I think they went to Boston and, and 
Yep. Schroeder stole the ball and they won the game late. They played that game without uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. And I remember thinking, wow, this is. And I think Boston may have been without Jalen Brown or, or something like that. But but still, I remember thinking this is a it's a little different kind of win for a team like this heading into the into the stretch part of the season. I remember thinking, you know, they're they're playing at a level where they're going to scare somebody in a playoff series, and they were they was just playing with a lot of of maturity. They were playing with a lot of chemistry. Um, I thought they were starting to play consistently, especially with the exception of. They had a two-game series against Milwaukee and the Clippers, two teams that are just better than them, where they yeah. where they got popped. But otherwise, they were consistently playing really well. And I remember thinking, Presti's got a really interesting offseason coming up because the team that he's got on the floor, while it's not going to win a championship, it is not a bad team at all. And he's got the people coming, coming to the arena, and, and you've got all these elements going, and yet you've got all these picks and assets and – I know I just long-winded thing here, but <laughs> I, I remember just thinking this is probably not really what he planned for. Yeah, I think we all expected him to have a big trade deadline, especially you know when we saw the the uh, trades over the summer. We expected them to essentially blow it the rest of the way up at the trade deadline and keep continuing in that direction. And you know they evaluated where the team was at and you know tried some things to see if they could get Gallinari to, uh, to go to Miami. But they also were in a position where they didn't have, like, they didn't have to make that trade. They could, you know, hope that they could do a sign-in trade over the summer and just stay pat. And it was a, you're right, it was a really good team. And I don't think any of us expected the uh, three-point guard lineup to, be as good as it was, and it was one of the best five-man lineups in in the league. So, I mean, props to Billy Donovan for that. Props to those three point guards for you know not not being upset about how their playing time was getting shared among the three of them. And yeah, they. I mean, I I still am not sure how they. It depends on the matchup, right? I'm still not sure that they would have won a first-round series. But, like, also they haven't in the last three years. So, really, just making the playoffs was a huge win for this team. So, you were there that night. They were getting ready to play Utah. It was a, a pretty big game from a seeding standpoint. I think the Thunder mm -hmm. would have passed the Jazz with the win that night in OKC. Um, I guess we've talked to Royce Young on this podcast. We've talked to Tony Jones on this podcast. So we've talked to different people about their stories that night, and I never get sort of tired of hearing it. It had to be sort of surreal that day. When when that day did you get a sense that th this that that night could get weird, and then sort of take me through that night? Yeah. So we went into it knowing that a couple of things were going to be different because that was the first game that the Thunder were playing under the new rules where we couldn't go into the locker room and things like that. But really, I don't, it didn't feel like anything beyond that was going to be different. And we were all harping on that in pregame and, you know, asking Steven Adams questions about that because he was the player that they brought out beforehand. And, you know, we all kind of shrugged it off. You, you mentioned Royce. Royce and I walked in at the same time and like, I opened the door for him and he made a joke about like, oh, glad you're the one who touched the door handle. And we were 
laughing about it. And then you fast forward a few hours and the season's getting shut down because of Rudy Gobert's positive test. And I don't think it wasn't until you're looking out onto the court and Donnie Strack is in the middle of everything that you're like, oh no, <laughs> this this is not a good sign. So I'm I'm curious here because you're you're doing some things that I always wanted to do career wise. I just I never I never really had the courage or whatever to test t- uh, take some chances. If I'm being co- totally honest with myself, um, what was covering the NBA like? You're still pretty young. You you had never been. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you'd ever really been on an NBA beat before. No. And you're you're on an NBA beat, and you're competing against people like Royce Young and and Brett Dawson and. And, uh, you know, the national guys come in, established people far more connected, I would guess, in NBA circles than you were, certainly when you first got started out, where, yeah. you, where you had to feel like your hair was on fire. What what was that just sort of experience like from a journalism standpoint? Well, it's funny you mentioned Royce Young and Brett Dawson, because those are two of the nicest people I have ever met in my life. Yeah. So, so really, the Thunder Beat was a perfect way to start, because you don't have the massive scrums like you do in LA where like you are fighting tooth and nail to get any question in ever. Like even when, when we were going with the thunder out there, even in the way scrums, it was like, Oh my gosh, like the LA people have already, cause they do this every day. They've already positioned themselves. Me and Brett are on the outside of the scrum looking at each other like, Oh no, <laughs> we missed the time to, to, butt in with our elbows. Uh, So that was good. I mean, great people around you. And I think my whole career has been a lot of, you know, competing with people who have been there. I mean, obviously, when you're first starting out, there are going to be people around you who have been there a lot longer. And you just have to find your niche and your niche in the way that you can really impact that beat that you know doesn't rely on being as tapped in as some of those people at first and you know that obviously your sources grow the longer that you're on the beat but it was really I, I obviously was nervous going in because it is a jump but it it was a great place to start and I think I grew a lot as a journalist there as well so take me through the decision to uh, to go to Chicago and and also to switch sports you, you jump from yeah. the nba to major league baseball you go from a small market to one of the biggest markets in the country and uh you go from a beat that well i've paid a lot of attention to it because i guess i've followed the thunder all these years obviously you go from a beat that that is a fairly small beat to a massive yeah. beat uh what a terrible time to move to like <laughs> what, <laughs> what yeah your what timing <laughs> sucks no offense it's- but Awful. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's been really weird. Uh, But yeah, it it was a hard decision because I I really did love Oklahoma City and I loved all the other people on the beat. I guess Brett had left by them, but, um, you know, Eric Horn had been my beat partner that first year at the Oklahoman and then he took Brett's spot at the Athletic and just... uh, Steve McGee was one of the TV people and um, just such a great group of people. And then the Oklahoman is one of the most 
it, it honestly felt like family. And I know yeah. in sports, we throw that term around all the time, but like great, great uh, sports staff and yeah. atmosphere around that staff. And so it was, it was a tough decision for sure. I think the coronavirus definitely shifted things. Uh, everyone's getting hit hard by it, but newspapers have definitely gotten hit really hard. Um, subscribe to local news. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd always wanted to go back to baseball. I grew up playing softball. Actually, and baseball. I played Little League Baseball until I was 11 or 12 or something like that. And then switched to softball and played through college. It was just Division three, But, you know, that's a sport that's really been ingrained in me for, you know, almost 20 years of playing. I'm probably over-exaggerating that. I started when I was seven and played through college. Sure. Um, but... I'd always known that eventually I'd want to make the switch to baseball and this opportunity came up and I love Chicago. I went to school in Chicago and as you know, even, you know, the Cubs are, have a fantastic fan base and are really passionate about their club, even when they're doing badly. And obviously, as we saw a few years ago, especially when they're doing great and, it was a an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. So it's always it's always encouraged on this show not to just say they they were doing great. It's encouraged for you to say that the Chicago Cubs won the World <laughs> Series in 2016. So you, you can you can be more specific than that. If, if you guys, if anyone forgot, if Neil has let anyone forget, the Cubs did win the World Series in 2016. Yes, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2016. They beat the Cleveland Indians in the, in the greatest game ever played. I've now watched With that the help, game. Help of a rainout. Yeah, it was, well, that was God. Uh, it, <laughs> With now, the help of God. <laughs> in, in a pandemic, I have watched that game another hundred times. Oh, I'm it really sure. it just keeps coming on. I'm like, well, it's on. I guess I'll have to watch it again. And, and, and it never. <laughs> and you love it every time. <laughs> it never gets old. You know, it's the funniest thing about that game. And I tell people this all the time. And it's so funny because I've heard Jed Hoyer say this independently of my thought process. I'd already thought it. And then I heard him say it. And I'm like, oh, I feel you. That last play when Bryant fields the ground ball and you see him throw it across the field. I remember everybody talking about, oh, he smiled. Yeah, but I don't remember the smile. I remember his right foot slipping, and and thought, "Oh shit, this is it." Yeah, oh, this is yeah. And I'm in my mind. You know how you can think something super fast, even when you have almost an entire bottle of Baker's bourbon in your system at that point. <laughs> I remember thinking, "The runner's on first. Is he going to score?" Oh my god. That's what I remember thinking, and then I mean, it happened so fast, and the, and Rizzo caught the ball basically face level, but. I just remember the foot slipping and the ball kind of had this little upward trajectory. And I thought, oh, he threw it away. And, and it, obviously, Cubs fans mind for you, right? There. Yeah, it just it's so funny. And, and I've heard Jed Hoyer say someone asked Jed Hoyer's, you know, do you watch the end of that game very much? And he goes, no, I really have a hard time watching it because all I saw was uh, Bryant's foot slip. That's so funny. And it's so funny. I'm like, I, I feel you. But anyway, I've watched that a lot. So. All right, I'm going to get to baseball in a second. I'm going to ask you about NBA playoffs, but I'm curious. Yeah. You were living in – you've now lived in two cities that I'm pretty familiar with. I've been to Oklahoma City a lot uh, when my brother lived there especially. 
and uh, love it. I think it's a really cool, underrated town. Uh, Oklahoma is super conservative from a right-left standpoint. Very conservative place. I'm not judging one way or the other. It just is. It's very conservative. Um, And you've now moved to Chicago, another city that I've been to a ton of times. I love it. It's one of my favorite places. It has a vibe to it that, that I just, I find sort of intoxicating, but it's not very conservative. It's pretty liberal. I'm curious the way the two cities, not politics, the way the two cities have approached the coronavirus, is there a, is there a distinct difference? Oh, yeah. It was fascinating because I moved in the middle of it, right? And so the Friday, I believe, before my move and we just packed everything up in a Penske truck and drove across the country. Um, but restaurants had opened. Like the economy was starting to open and, you know, I, you, people wore masks most people wore masks into into grocery stores and stuff like that, even though like you went to Walmart and it was only like half the people were wearing masks. And it's like, we're still in the middle of this, but okay. Um, and then got to Chicago and you couldn't walk outside without seeing everyone wearing masks. And obviously, you know, now with the protests and everything, there's, there's a lot less social distancing, but it's, and a lot of that also has to do with the number of cases, right? Like Oklahoma City, I think when I left, it was like, if you look at the cases per capita, Chicago was like, or Cook County was like eight times more uh, more cases per capita than, than what uh, Oklahoma City was dealing with. So a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison, but I think there's definitely been a little more caution on this end and a bigger outbreak. So hard to compare there, but it's, it was definitely weird driving across the country and then realizing like, Oh, there's a, once you get to Illinois, there's, you have to wear a mask into stores. That was not the case in Oklahoma city. Have you had any personal interaction with anyone on that beat or has everything been zoom calls? It's all been Zoom calls. It's it's a weird time to start a beat. Like I'm every time I start a beat, I like to meet as many people in person sure. as I can and grab coffee with as many people as I can. And I just have not been able to do that. Uh, so I mean, even my coworkers, I have uh, mostly met on Zoom calls. There's like one of my coworkers I had met at. Um, at All Star before we knew that we were going to become co-workers and then I met another at a like community cleanup thing and that's it <laughs> everyone else I've I've met over Zoom so yeah. oh I guess and then obviously the people that I met during the interview process but yeah because you're working with like David Kaplan and Gordon Whitmire and people like that yeah are you, you have you met any of those people or is it all just nope we uh it's crazy let's see yeah, Gordon and I met on the phone. I'd called him during the interview process just to, you know, talk with him and see what his ideas for the beat were. And then Cap, I met on a Cubs team Zoom call. That's <laughs> crazy. So you're covering this insane labor negotiation right now oh, in Major yes, League yes. Baseball. That is, it, it's it's truly. When I was a kid, I'm not to go down story time here, but when I was a kid, my son's 13 now. And when I was his age, 
I don't even want to tell you what year that was because it's embarrassing <laughs> to admit. Major League Baseball was the king. Yeah. We knew when I was his age, we knew who all the players were on all the teams. They were household names. Monday night baseball was must watch television. No joke. The World Series beat the NBA, beat the NFL. Um it's not that way anymore. Major League Baseball, as you know, had this opportunity. I, I mean, you know, that maybe it would have been in Arizona. Maybe it would have been in just a handful of places. I don't know. But they had an opportunity to be the first sport back. Yep. And to get, you know, to build their fan base, to people want sports. They would have been able to give people sports. That opportunity has gone by the wayside. And now... You know, we've we've all everybody says this, and it's true. It's one thing to not have a season because of the virus. That's understandable, no matter what you might think or not think of the virus. But if you don't have a season amidst a pande- pandemic because you can't agree to labor terms, yep, it's going to be really difficult to overcome as a sport. And they seem, and they at this point, it appears to be the owners more than the players. They seem hell bent on that. Yeah, it's maddening to watch and you mentioned that you know possibility of being the only sport in town do you know who's actually done really well at capitalizing on this is major league soccer yes they that tournament that they have planned for i guess kind of preseason like before the season but also counting regular season games yeah. fascinating like i'm gonna watch that absolutely of and course I, I, I covered Major League Soccer, so like I think I'm a little more in on the soccer train than some other American fans. But like, they're they're getting started up early enough that I think they're going to bring in a lot of new fans, and that's yeah. the opportunity that baseball had. And it's yeah, the <laughs> all the the negotiations have been frustrating, and it's not fun to write a story like seven stories in a week being like, hey, here's this proposal. It's not going to get accepted by the other side, but like, here you go. Well, the owners uh, keep proposing the same proposal. They just dress it up differently. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. We'll give you more, less games with a bigger percentage and it still adds up to the same thing. And Well, it's they're uh, saying, hey, would you guys like a dozen donuts? And they say, no, we don't want a dozen donuts. Okay, would you like two half dozen donuts? Yeah. No. Okay, would you like four bags of three donuts? Nope. Three bags of four donuts? I mean, no, we don't want 12 donuts. We know it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and the players have been very consistent in saying that they – they want their full prorated salaries and that they thought that this was that's the other thing about this is they had a win at the end of March where it's like, hey, we came to an agreement, great. And then we get further in and it's like, oh, just kidding. None of us can agree on what that agreement was actually about. Yeah, so- and, and I think that's where the players union representation is going to ultimately lose their job, is that if you if you read the fine print of the contract, apparently, it does support what the owners are saying. The players didn't realize that. The players' union, I should say, didn't realize that until it's too late. And so now they've dug in on the prorated portion of, of the of the agreement. And the owners are – the owners – to me, it seems like it's twofold. And please correct me if I'm wrong because you're far more educated on it than I am probably at this point. It seems that the owners know that the networks are telling them, hey, look, get this thing done by October because we – we're going to have other stuff to televise in November. There's going to be a presidential election in November. We've got the NFL. We 
either are going to have college football or we're going to have the NFL on Saturdays as well. We're we're not we're really not interested in in carrying Major League Baseball in late November. And so the ownership is and ownership also knows that the bulk of their money comes from having a postseason. And right. their doctors, whether they're right or wrong, we'll find out. Who knows? Their doctors are saying, hey, you got to be really careful about when the weather cools off, a second wave of this shutting it down. So get your regular season finished. Get your playoffs in. Get your money. Because that money is the money that they'll use to reimburse themselves for the salaries that they've already fronted the players. That's absolutely right. And that's why they keep putting in with their proposals, trying to get the players to take on some of that risk where a portion of their already prorated salaries depends on the postseason, and the players are like, no, absolutely not. And the owner's like, but we're taking on the risk of the postseason, and it just goes in circles and circles. So, I mean, if I were to bet right now, it feels like we're headed towards Rob Manfred setting the number of games, which you know could be as low as 50, even 48 which is just not a real season but (laughs) i'm curious (laughs) not to yeah not to interrupt you there but i'm curious when you talk to people and i know you haven't had enough time to really establish a lot of player connections on that beat but maybe when you talk to people that do or you just kind of talk around that a little bit how many players and that's a 48 game seasons of ours it's it's not going to be taken seriously by many people a lot of players won't take it seriously the ones who can afford not to play probably won't how will how does that how does that go off yeah i mean that's a that's a real risk especially i mean i think it's the right thing to do that it seems like the players and owners have agreed that if you're at high risk for you know covid-19 then you can you know still get paid and and still get your service time and not play and if you're not at high risk you can opt out you just don't get those other things so I think that's the right thing to do in this pandemic. And it'll be interesting to see how many players decide to like, Hey, like we're, we're barely getting, we're getting paid like a third of what we would have before. It's just not worth it. Uh, And, you know, we'll see. There'd obviously be public backlash for something like that. Uh, I don't, I don't know what I would do in that sort of, and these guys love baseball too. So that's another thing that's going to factor into their decisions, but it's, it's a bad situation for everyone involved at this point. And it sounds like, you know, Rob Manfred has said we will have baseball a hundred percent, but that could be, it could also be another fight down the road because that March 26th agreement also says that he needs to, you know, he, he has the power to implement a shortened season, but it has to be, you know, essentially as many games as they realistically can play. And so, well, and you know where that's headed, where that's headed is the players say, okay, all right, 48 games, 50 games, whatever. Okay. We're going to play. Here's the deal. We're filing a grievance. And in that grievance, we're going to say, open your books. And that's mm-hmm. something that the owners have always said, we're not going to open the books. And the players are going to say, you're going to open the books and it really leads into this an, an off season of acrimony, no matter how the season goes down and the labor agreement expires in 2021. And the two sides very clearly in case no one can notice right now, if, if this were in a divorce proceeding, the council, the counselor would have already said, this is hopeless. 
I mean, there's, there's. What? I think it's going great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the counselor would say this is there's, there's no fixing this. Uh, there's you, you two just. Not only should you divorce, you should never even live on the same continent together. <laughs> they, they don't have that option. So at the end of this 2021 season, if there even is one, there's a real chance at, at a long lockout slash strike. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot here. And it's like the NBA, one of the NBA things, jumping sports a little bit that I have found fascinating with some of the Kyrie Irving's push yeah. to the players is I don't know how many of the players understand the force majeure portion of that agreement, which is, okay, we reached an agreement that we're all going to go to Orlando and play, but if you all decide that you're not going to, well, that's your prerogative. You're not going to get arrested. But understand what happens here is that the, the the collective bargaining agreement that's in place is blown to smithereens. It's gone. And so you have to renegotiate a new CBA, mm-hmm. possibly in the midst of a pandemic, where if it's not safe to play in front of crowds now, how do you know it's going to be safe to play in front of crowds in November or December? So the owners say, we have really no incentive to put that money back in right now. A quasi-strike at this point could result in a two- or three-year absence from the game, and I don't think that's hyperbolic. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen reports out there that that it's definitely a possibility. So I, I think the NBA looked like it was hurtling towards a resumption faster than the MLB, but we'll see. I mean, now is the tough part for the NBA and the <laughs> – MLB has been in the tough part for the past month. So Yeah, this is where the, the rubber meets the road for the NBA because it's one thing to say, hey, we're, we're not going to play. It's another thing to realize, okay, well, I'm not going to get paid. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, there was a really good story this week that you got to cover that was sports-related. The Cubs drafted um, Ed Howard from right there in Chicago, played at Mount Carmel, was part of that very uh, – I don't know if famous is the right word. I think everybody got so excited a few years ago about that Jackie Robinson West team that, that won the Little League World Series. Uh, have you talked to people inside the organization about about picking him and how has that been received? Yeah, I think have it's they're thrilled. Uh, their scouting a VP of scouting Dan Cantrevis said that they had you know obviously mapped out several scenarios and. Picking Ed Howard was their best case scenario, and they, yeah, they're really excited about him and what he can do. And I got to talk to both him and his dad and Mount Carmel coach and um, and one of his coaches from when he was seven years old. And he just seems to be, I mean, a great story that they keep the hometown kid in Chicago. I think White Sox fans are a little pissed off because. He grew up in the ACE program, which is White Sox initiative, and you know he he played with them through his teen years, and so they're like, why didn't we get him? Eleven would have been high to take to take Ed Howard as good as he is, but you know, high schoolers were just sliding down this draft, and so for him to get picked at sixteen, I think was a great thing for him, and. He's just so fundamentally sound, I think, is one of the things that really jumps out about his game and something that Cubs have talked about, but also is something that I have a story coming out later today about how he worked with Luke Collier, former big league player, 
from the time that he was seven years old and really got those fundamentals ingrained at a very young age. And that's why if you go back and look at any of the 2014 Little League World Series, he's at shortstop and just like making plays that, you know, you'd still be in awe of a college player making. You know, he just looks so comfortable out there, so smooth. He got the nickname Silk uh, during that that tournament. So, um, yeah, really exciting pick, a feel-good pick, and a kid who's really got a good head on his shoulders and has see he's already he's already getting having to field questions about race relations in the United States as an 18 year old who just got drafted like on his draft night and he you know did that very well so uh yeah exciting and I'm excited to cover his career coming up now yeah so you're you've gone from one team that that was in the midst of a rebuild to one that was at least kicking the tires of a rebuild with the Cubs. And so many of their young core players are approaching the free agency portion of their of their careers. Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Kyle Schwarber, uh, Wilson Contreras is a year behind those guys. I mean, there's, there's a lot of a lot of the big names on that team. Uh, their futures are, are very much up in the air. Do you get any kind of a sense yet as to how the – financial instability of the entire game, not just the Cubs organization, but yeah. the entire game might impact some of those decisions? I think right now it's too early to say, um, but, you know, for sure you, there is a, you know, when you're just thinking through the possible options, you're wondering what potential trades could happen in the future because of that instability and because of this season essentially being a wash. So, We'll see. It could. I mean, this could be a fortuitous year for the Cubs, and um, but they've got some young talent. I mean, they're they haven't done a great job at developing pitchers. That's very well documented. Yes. If if you have any of those guys opt out this year, you know. Like if you Darvish doesn't play this year, which that, I'm not saying that, <laughs> that, that is, but I'm not reporting that. It's an example. Um, the season's a wash, complete. Like they're, the Cubs are toast. So um, yeah, maybe a shortened season could help that that rotation, though. We'll see. Uh, but it's certainly it's certainly a weird year for them, and and there's so many factors at play. How shut down is Chicago right now? Are some of the restaurants open at all? Or are you just hanging out? Yeah. In your, are you hanging out in your apartment somewhere? They, oh, I am just hanging out in my apartment somewhere. They opened up um, outdoor seating recently. I think in the last week or two. Honestly, the time feels weird. It, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure if it was a week ago or two weeks ago or oh, what. I, but I understand. We do have uh, patios and stuff opened up now. I have not tried any of them yet because honestly i don't need to eat out in the sun that much but but we're starting we'll see if we'll see if we get shut down more now that it seems like covid19 rates are going up nationwide but cross my fingers well, I really appreciate the time. I, uh, I I've I followed your career. I I take responsibility for it, as you know, because we got you on a podcast, and then from there yeah. you just took off. So obviously, it's it's all our doing. 
Um, and now, now it's obviously my career is just going to spike even more after this podcast. Why, why do you think I came on? It wasn't to talk to you. Yeah, you're going to go cover the Packers or somebody and cancel an NFL. And You know, your point about MLS, though, is right. And I think it's where a lot of people completely missed the boat on this, is that my generation, we soccer wasn't mainstream when we were growing up. So there was no chance it would ever be mainstream to people like me. But yeah. like my kids, soccer was a big deal. You, you, if you played soccer at high school level, my kids' age, it wasn't gooby. It wasn't. It didn't. Right. It mean. It didn't mean that you were insufficient as an athlete. It meant you played soccer, and so they, they've, and also those kids have grown up with satellites and uh, smartphones, and they can watch Bundesliga, and they can watch the English Premier League, and they can watch La Liga, and and they can see these people on, and then. Uh, Young women have grown up watching uh, the the World Cup competitions, and and the Americans have been a, the dominant team in the in the world, probably for the last I don't know twenty years, and so they they've seen that. And watching soccer is not going to be like oh well at least it's something. It's going to be no it's soccer, and I think I think for MLS it's an op- a real opportunity for them to build a fan base that already has a pretty good young nucleus of fans. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh- you know, a win after the men missed the World Cup um, a few years ago. Yeah, and you know, like where you are in Chicago, Carson and I have gone out to see the fire, and those games are fun. They're kind of hard to get to because they play out all the way out in like Westbrook or Westfield or something yeah. way out. Brookfield, I think, is way out there. But like there's talk about them having a stadium in that River North area, and if that happened, that would be – That'd be a hard ticket to get. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I think people are, would be surprised at how well it would do. So you're, you're right about that. Well, hey, uh, be safe, stay, uh, stay well, and hopefully you're covering a, uh, a baseball season that has some degree of, of meaningfulness here in the next month or so. Thanks. Same to you. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, college football is, is next up. So we'll just see how that goes. Well, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> 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 I don't want a season. I need a season. We 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 need we need football to happen, and I think it will. I do. I think it will. I think it's just going to look different, and I think it's going to feel different, and I think it's going to sound different. But I do think they're going to play. I think I think people understand that at the college level, you you have to play. Yeah, yeah. For the sake of the whole athletic department. Yeah. All right, Maddie. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our thanks to Maddie for her time today on the show. That does it for this edition of The Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. We'll be back uh, next week with another edition of The Beer Garden. Hopefully, at some point, we'll be talking actual sports. That would be cool. I miss sports. I miss talking about real sports. We'll get to it at some point. A lot going on, and uh, we'll have you covered here on the MPW Digital Network of uh, podcast. We'll have a... Uh, Greatest Pod in the South. Mine slipped there for a minute. We'll have a Greatest Pod in the South on Sunday. Uh, that will be uh, live streamed. I think that's the plan. And then uh, the Oxford Exxon Podcast returns on Monday. So we'll have all of that to you as we continue our uh, pandemic coverage, getting closer to what we hope is the start of the college football season in September. So have a great weekend. Until next time, take care.